Hey there, and welcome back to another installment of From the Mailbag. I'm Robbie Carmen. I'm Dan Moran. I'm Patrick Inhofer. And in this mailbag, we're not really taking a question from a member. Rather, this is an outgrowth of a conversation, an email conversation that Dan and I had this morning. And it was concerning. I asked him to look into a London post house for me for a variety of reasons. And Dan wrote something back, which really intrigued me where he said that there was this whole like glut of so-called colorists in London to the point where people when they're actually looking for a colorist like a post-production house is looking to hire someone what is it Dan that they're specifically requesting you not be I can actually put this in quote marks it actually said no Da Vinci Resolve colorists that stunned me now what's the deal with that what's up with that um, I guess it's kind of like a long history. So, like, say you go back as little as maybe three years, you could probably count the amount of colorists that people would get applying to things like this uh, in the 30 to 50 range. You know, that's like right. everyone in town. That's all of the colorists that you had. And now, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it delicately, uh, you can... You know, so say, for example, you could take a course online, like one of ours, and say, okay, I'm a colorist sure. now. Yeah. And then you'll apply for it. And I think people just got burned quite badly. So they went, oh, this guy's using DaVinci Resolve. That's cool. Let's uh, let's go grade with him. Their job went a little bit bad or they didn't get the result they wanted. And now they kind of thought, you know what? Let's stick with the baselight guys. Because there's only like, say, 10, 15 baselights in London. We know all the baselight guys. It's cool. Let's just use baselight. And I do find that every session I start now always is, what are you grading on? And I always just, you know... I fight the question. It doesn't matter. You know, we're in a post house. We, we, we've we been here 17 years. It doesn't matter what we're grading on. But they always want to know what it is. And uh, yeah, it's tricky. Well, can I call bullshit on this uh, this issue? Because I'm literally, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm literally listening to you guys and you guys briefed me a little bit on the on the uh, uh, the conversation back and forth about this. And I and I face the same thing, Dan. I mean, I'm, mm. I face the you know, oh, you're, you're using Resolve. Oh, look, I have Resolve. Why don't I send you a power grade of what I just did? Right? <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I, I get that, but I think it's actually BS that clients uh, think this way. Now, I can't get them not to think that way, and I'm not trying to placate or sort of say that this is not an issue. But what I think that this is is actually a good thing in disguise. Yeah, it is uh, because the issue is that. The, the hardware, the tools are now ubiquitous, right? Mm. Yeah, everybody has Resolve. I mean, we faced this 10, 15, 20 years ago with the Avid and then Final Cut and then what, you know, then, you know, now Premiere, whatever. Nobody has those conversations about it anymore. Are you an editor? Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're, you're using Final Cut versus the Avid, right? And I feel like that this is a very similar conversation. It's actually, in my mind, a good thing that I don't have to prove myself going, I have a quarter of a million dollar hardware box, therefore I'm a colorist. Yes, yeah. To me, it puts the emphasis on the talent. And yep. I think I think the the bad thing that these clients and the lazy thing that these clients are potentially doing is that they're just basing things simply on the old school method of oh, system evaluation. Yeah, how big is your system? Right, yeah. or how big is your room? Oh, you serve whiskey at four o'clock in the afternoon, right? <laughs> yeah. Um rather than the talent of things. And, you know, I, th- I think that's a, a, it's not the fault necessarily of the people. Now, that's not to say that there isn't people who market themselves as awesome and they suck. 
but I think it's the laziness and non not doing the due diligence on the client side of things just to go, you know, I have that. Well, and to be clear, I think I think one of the things that Dan's talking about isn't even like our clients saying, oh, you, I don't want someone who's on DaVinci Resolve. It's post houses mm. when they're advertising for a colorist position saying, we don't want to deal with the glut of resumes we're going to get because people have taken our lynda.com course and now are starting to call themselves colorists. In other words, they don't want to have to go through the process they have to go through with editors, which is actually vetting people. And, and you're absolutely right. Dan, you wrote me back and you said, well, did you guys have to go through this with editorial you know, 10 years ago? And the answer is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Rob, you just alluded to it. You just spoke directly to that, that that's what happened when Final Cut um, uh, 3 really exploded into broadcast post-production. Um, you, you had that problem that how do, you, how do you, when do you call yourself an editor? We dealt with that 10 years ago. Now I think the, for this call, when do you call yourself a colorist? Like someone advertises for a colorist. And let's assume it's a post house, right? And they're advertising a full-time position for a colorist. At what point do you have confidence to say, I can do that? Like, Robbie, yeah. when did you start calling yourself a colorist? When I was, when it was spending more than 75% of my time doing that. And I think that mm. there's, there's a, there's a yeah. difference. Be, there's a difference between saying that, Hey, I'm a technical editor with a focus on color correction or a focus on motion graphics. Cause you see that all the time, right? Yep. You see editors who are like, I'm really good with after effects and cinema 4d and they market themselves as having motion graphics VFX skills. Right. And I think that there is a little bit of a confusion point with the skill set right now where editors will sometimes say, not say rather, I'm an editor with, a, with, with great color skills. Because I think that that is probably the bulk of people out there um, that, you know, they're doing cutting titles, you know, whatever, that kind, of, that kind of work. 2005, I basically just decided, like, look, all I'm doing now, all I'm doing, occupying nearly 100% of my time is... Lift gamma gain, saturation, (laughs) you know? I'm not messing with what shot should I choose? What shot should I not choose? I'm not messing with the layout of titles. And at that point, I decided uh, that I was a colorist. So I I guess on one level, I would say that it's the percentage of time. The other level, I would say, is that it's a little bit of a marketing perspective. And this is where it gets dangerous. Uh, We have all known people and, and probably some of our members are out there who are aspirational in this, in the, in this, in this colors, right? Yeah, they're, yeah. they're doing, they're doing other things. So I, I don't want to say don't call yourself a colorist because I don't want to like, you know, knock you out at the kneecaps and just say, no, that's something that's not attainable to you. But I think it's, um, it's all in semantics and wordings. I, you know, yeah, in, in, in my mind, in my mind, you're not a colorist until that's where you're spending the bulk of your time. That's the bulk of the work that you're doing. But, you know, and the funny thing is, Dan, and you said something, and I, I think you'll be okay to share that, which is not only is it the bulk of your time, but a bulk of your time over a period yeah, of that's time. Good, yeah. that's good point. You know, it was about the same time, Robbie, that I decided to call, get full-time color correction. That's all I'm doing. Before that, I was an editor with a strong background, a specialty in color correction. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't hire me without me also doing your color grade. Absolutely. Right? So that was my focus. When I went 100% color correction, it was probably two years 
before I had the confidence to say I'm a colorist. Like I, I just couldn't say it. I just, I couldn't say it and believe it because I hadn't been totally focused on it long enough. And Dan, you said when you got hired at your current position, how long was it and why didn't they kind of advertise you as a colorist? It was quite good. Uh, so to give you a little bit of history, uh, I joined a place uh, and was mentored by Mark Horriban. He's probably been grading about 16 or 17 years. And his advice was just shut up and grade. And it probably still is to this day. Every time I say, oh, can I do this? He's like, just shut up and grade. His uh, advice is always be very humble, be very uh, kind of like honest about your grading. Just say, yeah, I'm a colorist. His, his kind of beef was when I arrived, I was like, oh, I want to be on the website saying I'm like a super duper feature film colorist. I could do all of this. He's like, just say nothing and let your work gradually build up. And I have to admit, like today is quite a particular day for me in this world where say in the last three years, I've kind of slowly appeared on the website and then my work is getting out there. I haven't done a huge amount of self-promotion in London and eventually my work has started to to feed out. Like I got an email from a photographer saying, you worked with my buddy a year ago and he said, you're the only person I want to work with. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing we're thinking about is like when you first start, don't go, I'm a DI feature film colorist. Just start out saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'll grade your project. Well, you know, you go it's that like, road, it really does help a lot, I think. Well, it's it's really funny is that, you know, I think about uh, I think about two things, what you just said, Dan, and you're, first of all, you're 100% right about that attitude, um, is that I think, one, I kind of always try to put in the back of my head, like, the the major players in the industry, you know, the, the E-films, the Company 3s, yeah. the, M- the MPCs, you know, those kind of guys. And what you don't see from those those guys who are doing some of the you know and gals who are doing you know the top end work is them going shouting from the rooftops, oh like I'm a di technical you know yeah, uh, blue super you know like wizard level four yeah yeah sorry, exactly <laughs> they're just like no I grade and and what the really interesting part and I call this the totem pole effect right is that when you find young folks that are just getting into this game. They always think that they know more, know better. That was uh, me. That was definitely know, me. <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. And no, it's all of us. It's everybody. It's a, it's it's a epidemic to post-production that the younger guys think that they know more than the older guys. The older guys are more antiquated, don't know how to... And to some level, I guess that's true. But I think that we all come to a point in our careers where we realize that experience, not only on the, the technical side, but the client side and the situational awareness comes to play it comes into play way more than the fact that you know every right click in resolve or base light or <laughs> you know or, or or whatever it may be and when you talk to these top end guys from these huge companies that again are producing Harry Potter and you know every freaking feature film ever made yeah exactly you find that those guys and those gals are less nerds right they're not going to be like Oh yeah, well if you do this thing in aces and then you right click and you do this thing, they're much more like, yeah, I just made the pictures look pretty, you know? <laughs> and and to me, that's a really telling thing about the 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 distinguish like when you like make that line into being a colorist. And I think all three of us, and we know a lot of other people have made this transition over the past 5-10 years. Now that's not to say that we don't know a lot about the the technical stuff. But I just don't give a I, I just 
sorry, pardon my French, I just don't give a shit as much as I used to about all the nitty-gritty technical stuff. Mm. What I care about is what ends up on screen. Yeah. And so and, and, to, and to me, part of it is experience. It's the duration of the experience, as you said, Pat. But it's also like motivational stuff, right? You find that young colorists, people who are calling themselves colorists for the first time, to be frank, they tend to overgrade. Oh, yeah. They that was definitely they, me, they, too. <laughs> they, they tend to do 47,000 windows and 12 keys and, you know, whatever. When we talked about the people at the top of the profession, the people that are true legends in the color game, they're like, yeah, man, I did one node or one layer or whatever. Mm, and I could definitely bam, back it, that up. Uh, remember you know what I'm I was saying at uh, post-production world? Uh, in the UK, Jean Clement in LA, Stefan Sonnenfeld. All the colorists joke that they only use one node as if it's like, a, oh, God, he only uses one node. He's such an idiot. And then all the clients say, I want to work with him. There's yeah. obviously some kind of uh, like amazing talent that they have that they can do it in one node. But it just kind of shows you you don't need to have 50 nodes to be you know, the guy that grades Transformers. Now, now Pat, I have a question for you because um, yeah. I think we've spoken about this in the past. When when it comes to sort of the idea of being a colorist, isn't there something to be said about the way that you handle yourself and present yourself rather than, I mean, we kind of alluded to this, but like in your mind, is there a distinction between, hey, I'm an editor with color and I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a colorist and like in terms of the marketing, like how you present yourself to clients? Yeah, I think so. I mean, number one, it's it's not about the software. I mean, the software is the base prerequisite. If you don't understand your software, then you probably don't understand your craft. And, and so that's the minimum entry requirement to, for me, a colorist is someone who understands how to communicate. I, I always felt as an editor, as an assistant editor, in fact, the biggest reason you ever want to work in a post-production house and start your career. I know where you're going with this, yeah. <laughs> is to be an assistant. And to watch yeah. five different editors or colorists interact with clients. And you will see that the best of the best, what differentiates themselves is their client management skills. Dude, I, I've had this experience. And we've, we've talked about this where I've hired people. You, you guys know I, I, you know I run a shop and I hire people and freelancers and that kind of stuff from time to time. And I've, on, on the mailbags and some other insights, I've described how... You know, there's the my way or the highway approach by some young kids just getting into the game, right? And Pat, you would just hit the nail on the head that this game, this 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 uh, you know vocation that we have, is when you look at it in the pie graph, the technical part about what we we do is one little one little mm. slice. The the knowledge that we have is maybe a little bit bigger, bigger slice, but the vast majority of that slice of that pie or that whole pie is the intangibles, like you just said, the way that we interact with clients, right? The way that we communicate, even down to things like, are you just an entertaining guy or not, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is a big factor. And in those, in those things, I think, you know, when, uh, you know, you, you move from the editorial world to the color world are kind of a little bit of something that you don't realize because how many times in the editorial world are you supervised with a client? Well... Uh, you might be supervised with a client uh, at the review stage of a rough cut, right? But when you're sitting there picking shots and doing whatever, you're probably not supervised. Dan, you're supervised every freaking day. Hmm. You know, I'm supervised quite a bit. Pat, you're supervised quite a bit. 
you know, so that's kind of a little bit of a misnomer is that, you know, one of the other things I think goes into the colorist is what you just said, Pat, the client communication skills is mm. something that's huge. You think you need to develop a thick skin as well. So, you know, when you're getting started, you're like, yeah, you've just kind of qualified as an assistant and you do your first grade and the senior says, oh, that's terrible. Your skin's pink. This is patchy. This is blown out. And my instinct was, you know, screw that guy. I know better. He's just old. But you do need to actually be able to take someone, say, I hate your grade. This is terrible. Smile at them and say, okay, let's work it out. And you just can't get yeah. experience for that, I think. It's huge. And, and, that's, and again, it's, it comes back to, to client management and understanding that it's all opinion. What you think your work is, is opinion. What your client thinks your work is, is opinion. And if you can accept that, then you are well on your way to actually mm. being a colorist. Um, but you know, when it comes to actually calling yourself a colorist, I think you, know, you need to build up a body of work. I think that there's nothing wrong with presenting yourself exactly where you are. Right. Yeah. It will. Sh it will explain why your rates are what they are. It will explain why it takes you maybe a little longer than this other guy who says he can get it done in three days. You say you can get it done in six, but the rates are different. You know, it. All of this. It's okay to be honest about where you are along your career path, and there's nothing wrong with you know kind of trumpeting up your feathers a little bit and doing a little bit of the peacock game, but you still. the The problem is if you don't deliver. Uh, you you will forever tarnish yourself uh, with that person and their circle, and so it's really important that you be honest about where you are and and not outright lie to your clients or lie to your to potential employers. Cool. So these are all sort of great insights, and I mean we could go on for hmm. probably hours, hours. talking probably about <laughs> talking about this. But you know, if you guys have some additional thoughts about your uh, you know sort of career trajectory and when you kind of went from being called one thing to eventually being called a colorist, uh, be sure to use the comments uh, down below in this post to let us know because this is something we we hear a lot from people and we discuss a lot of uh, you know internally uh, within the Mixing Light team and we're always interested in. So for MixingLight.com, I am Robbie Carmen. I am Patrick Inhofer. I am Dan Moran, and we'll catch you next time on From the Mailbag. <laughs> <laughs>